Hi, this is Dr. Russ Kennedy, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, where we talk about everything new in healing anxiety. So stay with us. Hey, it's Dr. Russ. Welcome to another episode of the Anxiety Rx podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about my own healing. I've had a few people ask me about how I healed from anxiety, and and I wanted to talk about it. And today seems like the perfect day to do it. So I healed from anxiety. The short version is I healed by accepting love from other people and accepting love from myself. Now, as ethereal and kind of airy-fairy as that sounds, it really is how you heal. There is only love and fear in the world. And if you push out love, you are going to quickly fill that space with fear and alarm. That's what happens, especially as children. If we don't allow love to ourselves as children, you know, this is, I've talked about this before, just about the, the judgment, the alienation, the blame and shame that we put on ourselves when there's, when there's shit that goes down in our families, when crap goes down in the hood, children assume it's their fault and they stop loving and accepting themselves and they start finding reasons to judge, abandon, blame and shame themselves. And when we do that, we split from love. We split from love. We don't accept it from other people. We have a hard time receiving. If you judge yourself harshly and someone gives you a compliment, it's hard for you to let that land. It really is hard for you to accept that love. And often I will gauge people sometimes by giving them a compliment, a genuine one. I'm not going to you know, fake it, but I'll give them a compliment and see how they take it. They say, hey, that's a, I say, that's, that's a great looking jacket. And they go, oh, you know, I got this at a, a thrift store and, and, you know, it's got a hole in it over here that no one sees. And, you know, it gives me a really great idea of how people speak to themselves. Whereas if I say, hey, that's a great look at jacket, they say, yeah, I got it at the thrift, thrift store. I love it. I just love how it, how it fits and how it feels on me. You know, it doesn't automatically assume that the, that person talks to themselves in a positive way. But if someone disregards a compliment and can't accept it, it's a good general idea that they don't probably talk to themselves in a very complimentary way either. So it's just something that, just to be aware of, and just in the way that you accept compliments. You know, do you blame yourself for things? Are you constantly shaming yourself for things? Now, shame is one of those things that operates under kind of our conscious awareness. It's just something that sort of infiltrates us and slowly chips away at our psyche. And it does so from the time we're children as well. And all of these things block love. They just block this, this sort of sense of being connected to the earth, being connected to other people, being connected to yourself. All these times where you judge, abandon, blame, and shame yourself, you're just splitting from yourself. You're, you're separating yourself from love. And the more you separate from love, the more that space gets filled with fear. It's gotta, the energy's got to go somewhere. So it winds up pushing out the love and then filling it up with fear. And, you know, over the course of your early life, doesn't really affect you too, too much. It can, but typically I see people start to crack in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. They've been using this defensive accommodation, this um, way of, of coping with the world by judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming themselves as a kind of a way of deflecting pain in a way, even though it creates pain, which is the, the whole counterintuitive nature of how anxiety takes us over, is that we think we worry to keep ourselves safe, but worrying just makes us feel more unsafe. 
but our mind thinks, oh, worrying helps. Not consciously, but unconsciously. Our mind thinks, okay, if I worry about something, maybe it won't happen. Or if I worry about something and it doesn't happen, I get a little dopamine hit from it not happening. So we make the false unconscious assumption that because we worried, the thing didn't happen. The thing we worried about didn't happen because we worried about it. Now, that's a child's way of looking at things, but your unconscious mind is kind of like your child self. It assumes that because you worry about something, it didn't happen. Well, it must have been the worry. And then you become afraid not to worry. So getting back to the original premise of this, because you guys know by now that I tend to ramble and channel stuff that comes through me. So it's all about, you know, accepting love for yourself and accepting it from other people as well. Because if you don't accept love... You know, you can't heal from anxiety. You just can't do it. It just doesn't happen. I don't see that happening. I don't see all the cognitive behavior therapy in the world changing the fact that you reject love, either from other people or from yourself. And it becomes a habit. It's an unconscious habit, and it's a habit that just drives our anxiety. Now, I'm not saying you have to be all of a sudden kumbaya and love everybody. That's not going to work either because we can't just open up the floodgates to love and expect the anxiety to fade away as well because that's going to be a shock to our system. We've used judging, alienating, blaming, and shaming ourselves as a coping strategy for many, many years. So we're not all of a sudden just going to drop it without you know, some sort of repercussions. So you kind of have to do it slowly and be aware of what you're doing. So be aware when you judge yourself. That's part of how I heal. It's like, oh, this is me judging myself. Or this is me going back into my regular hypochondriacal worries again. You know, find what the things are that drive you crazy, that make you worry. And realize that when you have those things, that you have to go into awareness. It's like, oh, I'm thinking there's something wrong with me again. Um, or I think there's something wrong with my kids again, or I'm feeling like I have to judge myself about eating or my weight or, you know, that I'm not the same as other people or I'm not as good as other people. You know, this, this constant self-judgment just keeps us in this limbo that we can never heal from. You can never balance out your psyche if you're always judging yourself. Now, all of us judge ourselves. It's, it's part of how we get better. If you judge yourself as not being good enough at softball, you're going to practice softball or golf or whatever it is that you do. That's a different, that's discernment. That's not judgment. So it's learning how when you judge yourself. Learn when you abandon yourself. Often when we start worrying, we've abandoned ourselves. We've gone to this negative coping strategy that separates us from ourselves, and it's not going to help us heal. And when you blame yourself and when you shame yourself, you're doing this as a way of keeping up with what was familiar with you in childhood. You know, if you had blame and shame in childhood, you're likely to carry that on in adulthood. And Freud talked about that too, as, as the repetition compulsion. When, what's familiar to you in childhood, you will unconsciously and unwittingly replicate in adulthood. And I've told the story many times about my patient, Jane, who kept picking alcoholic boyfriends because her father was an abusive alcoholic and she was just replicating what was quote-unquote normal for her in childhood. And that's one of the things we do in childhood is we replicate what was normal. And I've often said the word familiar can be broken down into family and liar if you grew up in a dysfunctional home. So your family lies to you about what's familiar when you equate that with safety and you just keep doing it over and over again. Because 
Those childhood programs are very, very powerful. They will rule our lives if we don't make them conscious. It's like the Carl Jung saying, you know, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you'll call it fate. So one of the biggest things I did to heal from anxiety, to get into this at the eight-minute mark as opposed to the start, is I just stopped, you know, believing everything I thought. And I started sitting in the sense of alarm in my body, I would find the alarm in my body, which if you've read my book, you know, is in my solar plexus, you know, it's purple, you know, it's sharp, you know, it pushes up against my heart. So I'd find it. And then when I felt that alarm, I would sit with the alarm. I put my hand over it. I would sort of breathe into it. I would really watch my mind in curiosity because my mind, what it wants to do is it wants to make sense compulsively of that feeling that's in my body. And if it's the feeling in your body, if that's the alarm in your body, the remnant from your, your childhood trauma, if that's what's causing your pain, thinking about it isn't going to make much of a difference. In fact, thinking about it just makes it worse. Because say your pain is in your chest. Say the source of what you call anxiety is in your chest. right? It's that alarm that's in there. Now, how much effect are you going to have on that pain in your chest when you're up in your head ruminating and worrying? Not a lot. And it just makes it worse, you know? So we get this alarm in our system, our brain, our mind, which is just a compulsive, meaning-making, make-sense machine, has to do something with that. It has to do something with that alarm feeling. So it makes up a story that's completely consistent and congruent with that alarm feeling, which is usually worries, you know, warnings, what ifs, worst case scenarios. So it makes these worries up and then your body believes the worries and it creates more alarm, which creates more worries. So you get into this alarm anxiety cycle. So to heal, I had to break that alarm anxiety cycle. And I did that by just training myself to sit with the feeling, to just sit with it, put my hand over it, Tell, tell the feeling that I have it. It's, 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 I, I'm connected to you. I'm, I'm, it's my younger self. Like it's really important to understand that that alarm is your younger self asking for attention now and connection and attachment now that it didn't get back then. That's the source of your alarm. That's the source of your pain. So trying to fix it up in your head when the issue is actually in your body is going to be counterintuitive. And that's why people tell me, you know, I've learned more from you in the last 90 minutes than I've learned in the last 15 years of therapy because they've been trying to treat the thoughts and the thoughts are just the byproduct. The thoughts are the effect. The thoughts are not the cause. So to heal from alarm, you have, you have to go in. You have to find that alarm. And you have to make a relationship with it and a loving, compassionate relationship with it because that's the child in you that's asking for your attention. And if it would have got the attention that it needed back then, it wouldn't have developed the anxiety disorder that you have now. So the biggest tip that I can give anybody is when you feel anxious, and I don't like that word that much, but I'm going to use it anyway. When you feel anxious, what I would call alarmed, find the alarm in your body, put your hand over it, and just sit there and allow it to be there. And maybe just look at it as your younger self asking for your attention. And it's so loud and it's so painful because that child is in pain and that child is asking for attachment and love and connection and you have to give it to them. You can't just go off and distract into the internet or, or go off shopping or whatever it is that you do to distract. 
because then that child is just going to get louder and louder and louder. So to really heal, I had to sit with that pain and not compulsively add thoughts to it, which is a lot harder than it sounds because my compulsion throughout my life has been to add thoughts to that alarm. And I was just basically throwing match heads on a fire. I was never actually going to allow the fire to go out as long as I kept throwing little matches on there in the, in the way of my thoughts. So I had to separate the thoughts of my mind from this alarm feeling in my body. And then once I did that, I felt like I had a crowbar in there. I felt like I had some sort of agency uh, at play that I could use to help me get past this uncomfortable, horrible, painful feeling. I knew that it was coming from alarm. You know, that this is what LSD showed me, that the pain was coming from this alarm in my body, not so much my mind. My mind was making sense of the alarm, and when it did that, of course, it made up these worries and it made me feel worse, but it wasn't really dealing with the root cause. So the root cause was that alarm that was stuck in my body. In me, it's my solar plexus. A lot of my, my clients or patients or whatever you want to call them, it's in their chest or their throat or their belly or their shoulders. You know, it's, it's finding that alarm in you and then connecting to it and then just not allowing the thoughts to become part of that whole alarm anxiety cycle. Just taking a step back from your thoughts and seeing how compulsively your mind so badly wants to make a negative story out of that negative feeling. And then once you start cutting that off, once you start cutting off the thoughts from the alarm, you start dealing with the alarm on its own. You actually start dealing with the root cause of the problem as opposed to constantly going back up into your head. Because it's like trying to learn how to ride a bike. If your bike's in the driveway and you go up to the bike and you never get on the bike, you know, every time you go to the bike, you think, oh, I need to write, read another book on how to ride a bike. I need to read more about the pedals or the, or the handlebars or whatever. You're never going to learn how to ride that bike. You have to get on it and maybe fall off a couple of times before you really get a sense of what that bike is like to ride, what that alarm is like to feel and metabolize. Because when you feel that alarm, when you allow that alarm to come out, it's actually not that bad. It is painful. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's not that bad if you don't compulsively add the thoughts to it. When you add the thoughts to it, that's when it gets painful. That's when it becomes a runaway train. That's when it becomes the alarm anxiety cycle. So I'm going to cut it off fairly soon here, but I really want you to know that it's the alarm that's lodged in your body that's causing your pain. It's not the thoughts of the mind. The thoughts of the mind appear to cause your pain because as soon as you have the thought, it fires into your body and you make the sort of temporal uh, analysis that it's the thought that created the alarm. But the alarm was there first. The alarm is what creates the thoughts, and then the thoughts actually make it worse, but it's the alarm that creates the thought in the first place, and it's the alarm that you have to deal with. It's the alarm that you have to get on its own, separate it from the thoughts, connect with it, see it as your younger self, and I'll talk more about this along as the podcast comes on. I know this is a big topic, but this is the really the biggest thing that allowed me to heal from anxiety and alarm was separating the thoughts of my mind from this alarm in my body. So join me next time. I know that was a bit of a ramble, but that's kind of how I do things. I really, I really appreciate you joining me on my little podcast here, and I really want to make it the best podcast that I can. So I will see you next time.
Hey, it's Dr. Russ. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll tune in the next time for the Anxiety Rx podcast.